0: surprisingly i believe wait for your next mistake i put in work and watch my welcome into the punt and pass podcast i'm your host drew butler usually joined alongside my co-host aaron murray but i'm rolling solo on a friday happy friday to everybody thanks for tuning in be sure to follow us on social media at punt and pass on twitter and instagram i am at drew butler aaron is at Aaron Murray 11 and if you haven't already which I'm sure you have go visit our brand new website it is live puntandpass.com that's right puntandpass.com is live it's got a blog it's got a shop which we call the locker room everywhere that you can download and listen to and rate and review and subscribe to our podcast is there we got videos up there it's going to be an awesome spot for you to bookmark and continue to check daily during the football season. So once again, punt pass.com, go shop, go hang, go read some of my blogs that I've posted. Have a great time. I'm glad it's live and thank you for the orders that have already been coming in. We always appreciate everybody tuning in to Punt and Pass. So, we got some news headlines definitely to run down. Shorter episode today, just going to keep everybody up to date on what's going on in college football and send everybody off to a fantastic weekend. Tons of sports going on, baseball, NBA, most importantly, I think, PGA Championship, which is taking place in San Francisco at TPC Harding Park, was up until 10.30 last night watching golf. Tiger tees off at 5 p.m. Eastern time, right when happy hour kicks off. Perfect. I love it. West Coast major championship golf. Certainly tough to beat. What's going on in the world of college football? Well, obviously, some schedules have been getting released. The ACC announced their schedule a week ago. They released their actual schedule this week. I'd like to send my congratulations to Clemson for another conference championship. I mean, their schedule is an absolute joke. Pretty cool that they're going to go to South Bend and play Notre Dame. That will be a fantastic game. Again, those historical historical programs facing off against each other. And I know Notre Dame is considered a member of the ACC in 2020. I highly doubt that will become a regular thing. But Clemson traveling up there and two top 10, top 15 teams duking out. That will be fantastic. I would expect Clemson to win that game. Clemson's going to win the ACC. Clemson, again, will be in the college football playoff. There is no question about that. But the coaches' preseason top 25 was released as well. We should break it down a little bit. A lot of SEC teams in the top 10. Alabama ranked third preseason. Georgia ranked fourth. LSU ranked fifth. Florida ranked eighth. Clemson's one. Ohio State is two. Oklahoma and Penn State are six and seven. Oregon and Notre Dame round out the top 10. Auburn's sitting right there at 11. Texas A&M at 13. Who's underrated? Who is overrated? Rated. I was actually surprised to see Tennessee not make it into the top 25. Now, I know their biggest question mark, I think, would be Jarrett Garantano. I know Garantano's been the starting quarterback for a number of years there. I know Tennessee ended the season on a high note a year ago. It seems like Jim Chaney was getting that offense clicking at the right time. But I think Tennessee could really be a story to watch out for in 2020. I think Tennessee could even be better than Florida. I think Tennessee could beat Florida. I really do. Call me crazy. But that is one of my bolder predictions heading into the season. I was surprised to see Tennessee not in the top 25. They were ranked 26 if you looked at the others receiving votes. But who is overrated? I think LSU might be overrated. LSU being ranked number five after losing what they lost a year ago. That just gives me a reason to pause. I just sit there and say, can we weigh? I understand they're defending national champions. I understand that they do deserve to have this type of reputation heading into the 2020 season, but they lost a lot. They really lost a lot. And having to put a new quarterback into the fold in Miles Brennan, I think that's going to be their biggest question mark. I will continue to monitor that. And then Notre Dame. Look, I know Notre Dame is returning Ian Book. I know Notre Dame is playing in the ACC. They're ranked 10th. I think they are right where they should be. What about Georgia at four? Are they overrated? Are they underrated? I don't know. I mean, really, I don't look too much into a preseason top 25 rankings, but Georgia's got a lot of question marks as well. We've talked about it repeatedly throughout the spring. First off, Jamie Newman and Todd Monken and JT Daniels and Scott Cochran taking over the special teams. There's just a lot of question marks that I think spring football would have done the Bulldogs really, really well. I think having those 15 practices, those inter-squad scrimmages, and the ability to start the season regularly, which of course will not happen now. Georgia is a top 10 team. I don't know about top five as of right now. And I'm just saying that. Should it matter? Of course not. These rankings do not matter whatsoever, but I did find it fitting that Clemson and Ohio State are one and two. They've got the two best prospects in all of college football, of course, being their quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, Justin Fields, former Georgia Bulldog at Ohio State. Fun to at least see and be able to talk about a top 25 ranking, which, of course, the coaches poll comes out first. College football is rapidly approaching, which is very, very exciting. Where's the SEC schedule, though? Knowing the timing of some of the episodes that we've released on punt and pass, I'm sure as soon as I press publish and you are listening to this podcast, the SEC will release their actual schedule. I wish I could have talked about it today. But, of course, I'll have to wait until next week. Assuming that they do release it later on today, I think it'd be a great Friday news dump. But maybe even early next week to allow people to dissect it and talk about it all week long. Why is the SEC waiting? They did announce a week ago that they were going to do a 10-game conference-only schedule, thus creating two extra conference games. So how is that going to work? Well, the rumors were that your rotational divisional opponents, those being in the West if you're in the East, those being in the East if you're in the West, for the next two years would be moved up. But no, 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 no. Alabama and Florida complained about the situation. Alabama and Florida complain that their schedules would be irrationally harder than those of the other teams in their conferences, so they went to Birmingham, they went to Greg Sankey, and they complained. This is being widely reported. And you know if Lord Nick Saban steps into Birmingham and stomps his feet and said, this is unfair, this cannot happen. And then Dan Mullen comes behind him and says, yeah, I agree, this cannot happen because Florida was supposed to play Alabama and Texas a and which, of course, is tough, then you know the SEC is going to listen. So now it's being reported that they've gone back to the drawing board in regards to the 2020 season in the SEC, and they're trying to figure out how they can add two more conference games by factoring in strength of schedule. How do you do this? It's fun to sit there and guess who's going to be good It's fun to sit there and guess how teams will play during the 2020 season, but like in the NFL and like in college football at times, I mean, who would have thought a year ago Joe Burrow would have been one of the greatest college football quarterbacks ever and LSU would have run roughshod over every team they played? It's very hard to predict these things in August. So I'm wondering how they're going to go about figuring which teams to schedule which teams based off of Predicted strength of schedule. That leaves a lot of questions for me. It really does, and I, and I don't know how you would figure that to be fair to everybody involved. I think fair, and yes, it plays into Georgia's favor, but that's just a scheduling, a scheduling situation. Fair would be move up your next two years' games into 2020 and go play. Georgia would have had Arkansas and Mississippi State. I mean, Mississippi State with K.J. Costello at quarterback and Mike Leach as the new head coach, they could catch lightning in a bottle. You know, week seven, eight, nine, 10, they could really be humming on offense and present challenges to a defensive backfield, which Georgia is experienced. But to other teams that may not be well playing or or gelling at that time of the season, they could present a lot of problems. And who would have thought that at the beginning of the season? You just never know. But you know what? If Nick Saban, Lord Nick Saban, stomps his feet, he'll get his way. That's the way it is in the SEC. And does he deserve it? I, I mean, I guess so. You Can't really argue with the guy. But that is the situation at hand. Florida and Alabama complaining, go figure, about how the schedules were going to be revealed. Roddy Nabolsi from Sports.com said yesterday that they were supposed to find out the other two SEC games yesterday. He's told the SEC schedules were supposed to have been revealed Wednesday at 6 p.m. But Florida and Alabama had issues, so the announcement was delayed, of course. Go figure. So the SEC schedule was supposed to be announced by now. So you know they're trying to figure out how to make it happen. I don't know how it will happen. But I know the SEC schedule will definitely draw the most media attention. And it will be fascinating to see where some games land. Will Georgia open up with Alabama? I would assume not. They're going to want that game maybe week three or four as as it was originally scheduled. But if you look at the Pac-12 schedule, the Pac-12 released their schedule, conference-only games. They put a lot of marquee games in the first couple of weeks. Things happen at different times in this country, especially from a health and safety perspective amid the pandemic. It seemed like the Pac-12 had the foresight to say, let's get these really important games in early just in case anything happens. I wonder if the SEC will take that approach. Put some rivalry games in early. Put some marquee matchups in early. Try to get those games in. Pump up the numbers for CBS, ESPN, and SEC Network. And then let the chips fall where they may. Not a bad way to go about it, but you would really hope that these teams had the ability to play good football, thus setting up better matchups later on in the season. How will it look? What about the stadiums? This is just speaking from Georgia's perspective. Again, going back to Roddy Nabolsi. He's reporting that the SEC will allow a maximum of 20,000 fans in the stadium with 3,000 of those fans being students. Tickets will be limited to a maximum of four per game for top donors, although two tickets for one game are also a possible possibility for the non-heavy donor. Most, if not all, will get their regular seats. Georgia plans to share the ticket information with fans next week, so again, this is all speculation and subject to change before then. Tell me this, and as a listener and as a fan of college football, would you be willing to pay top dollar to get into Sanford Stadium if there were only 20,000 fans inside there? Sure, it's awesome to take in a game day. Sure, it's special to be on campus. Sure, it's great tailgating. Who knows what the regulations on tailgating will be this season. What if all 20,000 tickets went to the fans? Students, excuse me. And you were just forced to sit at home and tailgate at home for a season. Would you accept that? What if the 20,000 tickets went to students? I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing that against the the wall. Would that make more sense? Clearly, top donors want to be at game day. Clearly, top donors will be sitting in their boxes and suites. But would you want to be inside Sanford Stadium with 20,000 seat capacity? I I don't know. I don't know if I would. I mean, I love watching college football from home. You get to flip through the channels. You get to be in air conditioning. You get to order whatever food you want. You get to get your beverage lineup correct and really enjoy a Saturday. If it's not 93,000 with tailgating, with the pomp and circumstance that makes game day so great, Would you want to be there? Would you spend your money and your time in Athens? Please let me know, at Punt and Pass, at Drew Butler. I think it's a fascinating question. I love that there will be or that they are planning to have fans in the stadium. I think that will certainly make it a better television product. But it's something to think about. It is absolutely something to think about. Switching gears a little bit, I'm going to talk about a couple of the blog posts that I wrote on puntandpass.com. Please head over to puntandpass.com. Check out the blog. Just quick reads, and they're, they're not going to take you but two minutes to read on maybe a college football headline, what's going on, and I give my little spin on it. First one is that UConn canceled their 2020 season. You know, I wrote and I talked about Randy Edsel, the head coach at UConn, and I, I applauded him because he sat there and said, Hey, it's not up to us. I'm not playing the game. The athletic directors and the administrators aren't playing the game. The TV network executives are not playing the game. The student athletes are. So why don't we leave this decision up to them? If you want to play, you can play. If you don't want to play, you don't have to play. We'll honor your scholarship. It won't affect your eligibility. He said that the next day, UConn cancels their season. Shocking to me. UConn Athletic Director David Benedict said after receiving guidance from state and public health officials and consulting with football student athletes, we've decided we will not compete this season. Safety challenges created by COVID-19 place football student athletes at an unacceptable level of risk. All right. First things first. And I know the uncertainty of COVID-19 is exactly what he is talking about here. But football in general is an inherently risky sport. That is clear. I think it's contradictory that the day before, UConn head coach said, this is up to the student athletes, let them decide. Then the next day, the AD says, we're not playing college football, and then cites COVID-19 and the safety challenges presented. What made me scratch my head is that the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced their season schedules or their plans for the schedules three weeks ago. The Big 12 announced on Monday, they're playing in 2020. Hell, the ACC just released their schedule. The SEC's about to release theirs. The Big Ten announced their actual schedules as well. UConn, however, becomes the first team to say we're not playing. Yeah, the health risks are evident. Yes, the safety challenges are aplenty. Nothing about 2020 is going to be easy. But with all that being said, every other school is plowing ahead. So why UConn? Why this decision? I'm going to have to go inside the boardroom and say the economic factors played into this decision most. Look, UConn was going to be an independent this year. Their travel schedule was spread all across the country, presents hurdles through possible travel restrictions, but more importantly, expensive travel budgets. UConn was 2-10 last year, 0 A in conference. I don't really think their 40,000-seat capacity stadium was going to be a great revenue generator in 2020. How about the rampant and consistent testing they were going to have to keep up all season? That is very expensive. Those dollars add up. The bottom line here is just that, the bottom line. Dollars and cents. UConn sitting out, and I think it's because they were going to be hemorrhaging money in 2020. Simple as that. Sure, you can cite COVID-19. Sure, you can cite safety challenges. That's the conclusion that I'm coming to. You know what's unique, though? Head coach Randy Edsel making over a million a year. He'll be cashing that check. Good for him. That's capitalism. You know, I'm not going to fault the guy for signing a contract into which he is contractually obligated to get paid. I'm all for the student-athletes making their own decisions. And a very prominent one at Penn State, Micah Parsons, their linebacker, star linebacker, opted out of the 2020 season. Look, he's a consensus All-American in 2019. He was the Big Ten's linebacker of the year. A certified, projected first-round pick in the 2021 NFL draft. He's sitting out 2020. He says, as I consider my options for the 2020 season, I decided that I needed to make a choice not for myself but for my son and those dearest to me. While I felt safe with the health and safety standards as we returned to Penn State for workouts, the potential risk to the health and well-being of my son far outweighed my urge to play football this season. I am not surprised by this decision. I'm not surprised. Good for Micah Parsons for making this choice. He's got something to gain from a football perspective in 2020. There's no doubt, but he has so much more to lose from a financial perspective. I think this allowed him to make that pros and cons list when he was deciding if he was going to play or not. I loved hearing him champion Penn State's health and safety standards. That's great. You haven't really heard too many positive outlines or headlines in that regard. It's great to hear players say, I felt comfortable. Our school did the right thing. There is a way forward. So my hat tips to Micah Parsons for at least saying that in his statement. I wrote this on puntandpass.com. What are the pros of Micah Parsons playing in 2020? They can chase a Big Ten championship at Penn State. They can build off a successful 2019 in Happy Valley. He was sure to get individual accolades at season's end. Butkus Award. All-American. Big Ten Player of the Year. Cement himself in the legacy, the historical legacy of Penn State football. What are the cons of Parsons playing in 2020? I think the number one, is the risk of season-ending injury. That can happen at any time. Preseason camp, week one, week five, Big Ten championship game, bowl game, if he were to play in that, if they were in the college football playoff. Happened to Dylan Moses a year ago at Alabama. Tore his ACL in camp. Now he will have a big question mark next to him when he goes to the NFL. That financial impact, can create a draft position free fall that would cost tens of millions of dollars. And then, sure, there's the possibility of contracting coronavirus, of course. That would warrant time spent away from his team, forcing him out of games. And then if he were to get it, the health risk presented to his son, that's at the forefront of his mind, which is relatable to me, and I completely understand. This is a hard decision. But in the end, it's a free pass for Micah Parsons and others like Virginia Tech's defensive back, Caleb Farley, who is a top prospect for the 2021 NFL draft as well. Now, when they go to the combine or when they get ready to head to the NFL, there will be no questions as to why they chose to skip the 2020 season. There will be no deep dive from NFL personnel poking and prodding about their motives. No premonitions of selfishness. For now, they get to prepare for the 2021 NFL Draft. Good for them. On a human level, though, will they miss their teammates? You bet. Will they regret their decision during rivalry week? Of course. Will they be itching to compete when their former teams are battling for conference championships and a chance to play in the college football playoff? They're probably scratching themselves just thinking about it. But this is up to the student-athletes, so I commend these guys for coming to this decision. These are the ones who are actually playing the game, so why not let them make the decision? A lot of them are choosing to play. Some are choosing to opt out. These decisions have consequences. I hope those who make this tough decision choose the right one for them. That's probably the most important thing. One last thing that I saw, and um, piggybacking off this week's earlier podcast. Going over the Pac-12 players' list of demands in order to play football in 2020. Remember how they asked for 50% of conference revenues? 50% of conference revenues. I don't think there's any sport, any business in America that splits 50% of revenue among their employees. And again, student-athletes are not employees. Sportico, sportico sportico.com, great sports business website reports that Cal Berkeley has $438.6 million of athletics-related debt. $436.8 million of athletics-related debt. Sure, money is free right now, as most of us know. Interest rates are at an all-time low, but athletic department accounting is significantly different. Talking about capital projects, facilities, financing, it's all different. And it's crazy to think that Cal, Cal Berkeley, yes, a historical program, yes, a great academic institution. I did not know that their stadium was built on a geographical fault line. So they had looked to possibly relocate their stadium, but instead chose to revamp it and construct on the same exact location. The construction cost mushroomed to $474 million, an NCAA record for a capital project. Of that cost, about $445 million was financed through borrowing. The payment schedule stretches into the next century. Good for them. But now, and amid the pandemic, it is, it's crazy. Under Armour is trying to back out of their $86 million equipment deal with the university, one of the richest in college sports. That's no good. Learfield IMG is trying to renegotiate their $100 million rights deal with the university. That's no good. The Pac-12 is soon to renegotiate their TV contract with all their schools. That's bad timing. Still got to pay your debts. And the problem is that the athletics department at Cal has never been able to pay back their debts. Are they going to have to cut sports? Probably. A quote here in the Sportico article says, Perhaps the pandemic will finally give Berkeley a way to get out of having a football team. That's how much money they're hemorrhaging. It says right here, a year without football would be Armageddon. People, I understand the challenges that 2020 presents, but there is too much money to lose. Everything will get turned upside down if there is no football. That is why the universities and the teams and the players and the administrators are trying to find a way forward. I hope for the sake of the game, for the sake of everyone's sanity, for the sake of these student athletes and these coaches and the lives that would be impacted by universities and athletic departments shuddering, that everything works out well this season. Those Pac 12 players, though, <laughs> I think they should just be happy that their scholarships are being paid for at this point. You want to be treated like real men? You want to be treated like how you will be when you leave college? Be thankful that your full scholarship that allows you to leave school without any debt can be paid for in 2020. Step out into the real world. Understand that unemployment is at sky-high levels, that there are jobs hard to find. Asking for 50% of conference revenues, demanding economic equality as a student-athlete right now, While it may seem urgent, I think it's just completely insane. Shoot for the stars, though. I'm pro player, but we got to draw the line somewhere. You have to. And when you hear a grim story like what's being presented at Berkeley, and yes, I know the time value of money, and yes, I know that this specific loan for the stadium reconstruction stretches until 2112, 100 years from now. It's really tough to sit there and demand what they are demanding when the real world is sitting in a much different light. Look, I love football, and I will champion these student-athletes for as long as I can, but let's have a hint of reality to what's actually going on. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'll keep the blog going, so please, again, head over to puntandpass.com, shop in the locker room, check out the blog, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you can. Follow us on social media, at puntandpass on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler. Aaron is at Murray 11 Hopefully, we'll have the SEC schedule to break down next week, and whatever other college football headlines head our way, we'll be sure to deliver them to you. We'll talk to you then. See you.